11 a.m. Are y'all glad to be in church this morning? Come on, act like you're glad to be in church this morning. Are you really glad to be in church this morning? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. Well, listen, it is so good to see each and every one of your smiling faces and all of your beautiful teeth in this place. Before I jump into the message, listen, I want to welcome, I want to take a moment and welcome a special group of people, some family that's actually joining with us today via broadcast, our Victory Hamilton Mill family. Victory Midtown, can we give it up for them? Yeah, y'all are loved over here in Midtown. Come on, come on, come on, lift it up for them. Well, listen, Hamilton Mill, we are so glad that you are with us today. Uh, listen, for those who came, this is your first time at Victory Hamilton Mill, and you were expecting Pastor Chris Frith. I am not him. I'm not him, but I am his brother, just from another mother. And um, listen, he wanted to be with you so bad today. Um, but as we kind of have seen, there's like this little bug going around. Some people are not feeling too well. And he was really trying to fight through. But he said, instead of him having just to make it through and fight through, he said, I would rather you, Pastor Mo, preach to the people at Hamilton Mill. And so we're glad to have you with us. One more time, Victory Midtown. Let's give it up for him. So we pray for Pastor Chris, and we honor Pastor Chris and Pastor Lisa, and we're so glad about what God is doing there at Hamilton Mill and right here in Midtown. Now, I'm here ready to preach today, and I came to preach to some people. I came to talk to some people who don't just want to hear a message, but you want to experience God. I came to talk to some people today that as we're in this series about the gospel, that you just don't want to hear another rhetorical talk. You want to make sure that you're actually engaging in the living God. And so as we're going through this today, as we've over the last several weeks really kicked this off, Pastor Johnson kicked us off in the first week talking about the breadth and the beauty of the gospel, talking about the meta-narrative, the big picture of the cosmic story of God. And so we talked about that, and then last week here and then even at Hamilton Mill, Pastor Chris preached about the depth of the gospel. And when we talked about that, what we said is that there's this sacrifice that Jesus made that when we really go deep, it's really how God affects us through that sacrifice. And so I don't know about you, but I'm very glad that Jesus decided to give himself up for me. And so with all those things that we've talked about, we've talked about the breadth and the depth, and now today I'm going to talk about our response to the gospel, our response to the gospel. See, it's important for us to talk about the response to the gospel because if we don't respond with a corresponding action, we'll just be in church listening to sermons. If we don't actually take a step, one step, moving forward in the things of God as a response to all that he's saying, we're just wasting our time. And so what we've defined the gospel is, is the good news. And I want to see what kind of class we have here in Midtown and at Hamilton Mill. There's three words that we've been saying that kind of sums up the gospel. Let me see if y'all remember. Yeah, don't be scared. <laughs> Hamilton Mill, did y'all get it? Our God reigns. And when we talk about the fact that our God reigns, what that means is that we have the victory. It means that we see through a lens, through a perspective of victory. And so as we walk through this word today, I have a question as we talk about responding to the word. If the beautiful, bloody gospel is true, how should we respond? If this gospel that we come to church to celebrate about is really true, how should we respond? So I want you to ask me this question. I want you to say, Pastor. Come on, Hamilton Mill, say, Pastor. How should we respond to this gospel? I'm glad you asked. 
repent. Now, some of y'all just had post-traumatic church syndrome. Because you've been in a church where someone has kind of stood over you and, and yelled at you and, and condemned you and told you you're just a dirty dog, you're just lost in sin, you don't deserve salvation, you ought to be happy that you're in church. But I'm here to tell you that this word repent has actually been a little mystified. This word repent, I think, has actually been misrepresented in some times. And so today, I actually want to let you know that we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel because it's actually good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not bad news. The gospel is summed up, and we talk about it being good news. And so I want to share some good news with you today. Is that all right? Come on, this side of the room. I want to share some good news with you. Is that all right? Hamilton Mill, I want to share some good news with you. Is that all right? All right, all right. I got spies in the room. I can hear. I can see what's going on. So here we go. As we talk about this good news and we talk about repentance, repentance was important and is important to Jesus. It's important to Jesus because there's this thing, if you study either psychology or even just mindsets, there's this kind of term called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention, what it does, it really kind of describes the fact that when you see a subject matter or a word that's spoken of many, many times, you want to make sure that you go back to the first time that it was mentioned so that you can get the original intent of that word. Not only that, is when you think about the law of first mention, you need to look at what did somebody say, how did they operate when they first came on the scene? You can tell a lot about a person when they first enter the room. You can tell their character. You can tell kind of what's important to them because they start to emanate that. They stand in that. And so as Jesus pulled up on the scene, he actually came with a very important message. The first message that he started to preach publicly is summed up in this scripture in Matthew chapter 4. If you're with us on version, go ahead and go there, and it's going to be on the screen. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now, if we're saying right here that our response should be to repent, I think it's important for us to really understand what repent means. We don't want to be confused. We don't want to be operating on a, a misjudged opportunity to know what the gospel means by this. And so, what is repentance? I believe a lot of times when you explain what something is, it's very important to say what it's not. And so, flow with me for a moment. Repentance is not a feeling. I just canceled some people out right there. Because it's not a feeling of remorse. You may feel remorseful, but repentance is not a feeling of remorse. Repentance is not self-management. If it must be, it's up to me. Repentance is not willpower, where you're suppressing your urges, trying to get over a past experience or a past way of living. Watch this, it's not behavior modification. And it's important for us to know it's not behavior modification because if your goal is simply behavior modification, what you will do is you will find that your behavior is only modified temporarily instead of changing you inwardly. And so the reason why we have to know that and the reason why we have to kind of dig in and lean into that is because if you are only trying to modify your behavior, what you'll do is you'll end up responding to someone who actually touches you in a part that's still fragile, and you'll end up slapping someone at the most inopportune time. Can we talk about it? 
Now, we're not judging a person, but what we're saying is that we're saying that there are things that happen in our lives that if we're only trying to modify our behavior, what we know is that that can only at best temporarily suppress the outflow of the true nature of your inner man. And so what we find is we have a lot of people trying to make sure that they get it together themselves. And many of you know that I spend some time pretty much every Sunday before I come in. It's the way I get my, my mind going and my spirit going. I work out in the mornings before I come to church. And the Lord speaks to me in the gym. I get some of my best revelation from the Lord in the gym in between sets. And so this morning while I was working out, I really feel very strongly like the Lord wanted me to share something with you here at Midtown specifically and at Hamilton Mill specifically in this moment. And it was this. The Lord just kind of nudged me. Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me. And I wrote it down. He said, share this with him, Mo. He said, the devil would love nothing more but to lull you to sleep and to make you think that you can actually modify your own behavior. The devil would love nothing more for you to get caught up in the culture of the world and try to, you know, kind of move some sage around and think that's going to do something. To make sure your energy is getting with the universe. To make sure your chakras are all together. Let me tell you something. You can do all those things, but nothing will change you but the blood of Jesus. You can try all those things, but I tell you, you'll always come back to knowing the power, the name that is above every name. And so this is what I want us to know. God does not want behavior modification. He wants heart transformation. Let me say it one more time. He's not looking for you just to modify temporarily. Because when you modify temporarily, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm just going to shift for a moment based on what the circumstance is happening. And the Bible does not say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that, you know, you will come to know Christ and you will get a modified version of yourself. No, the Bible says... And now you will become a new creature, new, new cre creature, new creation. All things and old things have passed away. And so as we grab this truth, I want to let you know this. In Revelation 21, 5, it says this, and he, this is Jesus, and he who was sitting on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Behold. Somebody say, behold. behold. Hamilton Mill, say it with your chest. Say, behold. Behold means look, watch, pay attention. Something is happening. God is saying, behold, I will make all things new. And I don't know about you, but these last two years or so have made it where I want God to make everything new. Make me new, make my home new, make my relationships new, make my family new, everybody. And so as we walk through this, what are we saying? We understand what repentance is not. So what is repentance? I want to give you our working definition for today. Now, for all my theologians in the room, I might not give the exact definition that you might know, but this is our working def definition. I have the microphone today. <laughs> so our working definition of repentance is this. Repentance is the change of my mind that gives God room to change my heart. The change of my mind that gives God room to change my heart. Now, I'm going to spend a little time here for a moment because I think we need to understand this because if we're honest, even as I feel this room and look around this room, I know there are people from all different types of walks of life, different churches, where you almost quit the church because of somebody telling you about repentance. You almost quit the church because someone was condemning you and God is saying, I'm trying to draw you near. And so when we talk about this definition of repentance, it comes from two Greek words that were put together. And these two Greek words, it starts as this. The first word is meta. Meta. It means change. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. 
And the second word that was put together, it is noia. Noia. It means mind. And so when you put those words together, it is metanoia, meaning to change your mind, to change how you think, to think differently, to reconsider. And so as we look at this and we grab this, I want us with that understanding to hear this scripture one more time, but in the Amplified version. Now, Hamilton Mill, I don't know if y'all use the Amplified version over there, but I like to be amped up. So we're going to talk about it. Matthew 4, 17, Amplified version. It says this. From, the time, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, when Jesus showed up on the scene, what he was saying, he was saying, repent, I want you to change your mind. I want you to change your mind and start to focus on God's way of doing things. You've been operating in a certain way, but that's not good enough for this next place that I want to take you. Change your mind. Reconsider some things. And so what we see here is that when we say that the gospel is good news, notice that Jesus didn't come on the scene saying, repent, or you're about to go to hell. He didn't come accentuating hell in that moment and highlighting hell because here it is. A lot of times preachers have stood up and talked about repenting and they've condemned. But God is saying, I want this word to you to be life-giving. I want you to hear it in a way that it is life-giving so that you can come into my presence and understand when you come into my presence, you can change. And so I want you to hear this. Repentance has been what I feel erroneously and maybe even incompletely defined as just turning from sin. While you will turn from sin when you repent, that is not the definition of repentance. Like we said right here, repentance is changing your mind that gives God room to change your heart. So as we look at this, here it is. What if I told you that there was something actually even a little bit more powerful than just turning from sin? What is it? See, I remember when I was, especially in my 20s and in my 30s, I used to travel a lot. I used to take a lot of planes. I used to fly all over the world, all over the nation, um, two and three times a week. And I remember being on the plane and the Lord speaking to me and kind of giving me this revelation that he codified in my spirit. I was a person that liked to be on the window seat because I need to see outside. I need to be able to pray over the wings and <laughs> see what's going on over there. I'm not trusting this pilot just all by himself. And so I remember as I'm in the plane praying and pleading the blood of Jesus, I remember starting to look outside and I noticed that the things that used to feel big to me when I was on the ground, when I was higher, they looked small to me. What I remember is that even living in Atlanta, when I would be around in traffic on 85 and 285 and when you would get stopped up, I almost sinned talking to some people in traffic. But what I realized was that as that was an impediment, as traffic was an impediment, as there were things that were like ground clutter on the ground, when I was higher, my perspective changed. When I was higher, I saw things much differently. Where I saw congestion, now I can see freedom. Where I saw things that were hanging up, I now saw, okay, there's another path over there. And so what I feel like the Lord told me is that, Mo, listen, when you are walking through life, you need to change your mind and lift your perspective about sin. You need to lift your perspective and know as long as you keep your perspective high, I've already given you the victory to walk through the things that you're actually dealing with each and every day. 
And so as I'm thinking about this, what I'm really just saying to us is that when we want to turn to God, when we want to change our minds, we have to have a mindset that's heavenly. The Bible says it like this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, set your mind and keep focus habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on this earth, which have only temporal value, just temporary. These things are going to fleet. They're going to pass. For you died to this world and your new real life is hidden with Christ and God. What I'm saying to you right here as I even bring this scripture to life is that your new life filled with the good news of God is found in Christ. Your new life, as you've been trying to just make it and and get by, God is saying, change your mind, repent, turn, lift your perspective. The things that you think are big, they're actually small to me, but you just need to get a little higher. You need to keep a heavenly view. And so as we grab this, here it is. My focus changes, therefore, the way I operate changes. My focus, when I keep a heavenly perspective about life, about sin, about victory, now the way I operate changes. And so the thing and the reason why I'm saying that to repent is more than just turning from sin is because if you can just turn from sin, you can turn back. How many of us have said to God, pleaded to God in our real moments of sincerity, God, I would never do it again. Just let me get through this. And the next day, 24 hours later, (laughs) doing the same thing. And so we have to understand that now we're not just trying to turn away. We're trying to reset our minds. Somebody say mindset. Come on, Hamilton Mill, say mindset. We're setting our minds on those things above, not being focused on the things of this world. And so here's the thing. When you set your mind on things above, now you start to taste the goodness of God. Now you start to experience different things. Now your your, your palate changes for what you now desire. Many of you know uh, I call my wife a chef. She's just not a cook. She doesn't just cook in the kitchen. She is a chef, certified by Mo. (laughs) And so... I'm saying this for for this reason. There's even some people in the room that have gone out to eat with me, that have had meals with me, and they would probably agree with me that sometimes when I go out to eat, I am admittedly uh, a little bougie when it comes to my palate. What do I mean by that? Because my wife is such a phenomenal cook, chef, she's conditioned my palate to only receive the most quality foods. Because she cooks so well, because she puts her love in the meals that she creates for me, there is something now that I've tasted and seen, and now when I taste anything that's adverse to that, I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) See, when you taste the goodness of God, when you start to experience him because you're turning away from sin and you're turning towards God, what happens is that now when you start to see certain things that try to come back at you and pull you back into a life of sin, you're like, no, I'm good. And so what I'm here to say is that don't go back to eating mess when God has given you delicacies. See, here it is. When you change and set your mind, what you're doing is you're shifting from saying, I just want to please myself to now I want to please God. You're not just selfish. You're not just trying to just figure it out and do what you feel. You're saying, God, what is it that I need to change and set my mind on so that I can start experiencing all that comes with the good news? And so when we think about this, I want to let you know why repentance is important, because it is important. 
I just wanted to come at a different way because I need you to hear the goodness of God and how he wants for you such a life to prosper and to give you good health. Here it is. When we think about why repentance is important, here it is. Jesus stepped on the scene with his earthly ministry saying, repent. The good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. Write this down and send your notes. A prerequisite to embracing the good news of salvation is repentance. Again, I said it earlier. He didn't come and say, the kingdom is at hand, now repent. He didn't come and say, hell is at hand, now repent. He came and said, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Meaning that you have to change your mind even to see and experience my kingdom. Because how many of you know you can be in an environment and not actually be affected by the environment? How many of you know that truth can be present, but you don't take on the truth because your mind is set on something else? Let me say it like this, even when it comes to food. You can be at a meal, and it can be real good, but if you ate a whole bag of candy before you came to that meal, you're not going to appreciate the substance of that meal. And what God is saying to us is that we have to understand that repentance is the doorway. Repentance is the prerequisite to enjoying and establishing the kingdom. Watch this second point. Repentance is the door to salvation and faith in God. Repentance, it is the door to salvation and faith in God. And so what makes it possible for us to experience the kingdom is that we have to repent. See, when we repent, what it does is it makes us understand that my old conditioning, my old mindset, my old way of operating cannot coexist with this new mindset. How many veterans do we have in the room here in Midtown or at Hamilton Mill by show of hands? How many veterans? You've served in the armed forces in some way. God bless you. We thank God for you. We thank God for you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Seriously, we really appreciate that. Here's the thing that I learned. I almost went to the Naval Academy out of high school. I was in ROTC, and I experienced those things, and, you know, I was recruited, and I just decided to go another route because I wanted to play the two sports that I was able to play, and they weren't having it. But here's what I learned about the military. Each branch of the military, they have this time when you come in that's called basic training. And in basic training, what they do during that time is they recondition you. They change your mind. They make you understand that the way that you used to operate as a civilian will not work in this way. Because here it is. When you are operating as a service person, you're actually looking to prepare for war. And in war, if you operate like a civilian, you'll get yourself killed. I'm here to let you know by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that some of us don't realize that we're in a spiritual war. And God is saying, if you keep on operating as if you are of this earth, you will not make it. If you keep operating as if you're going to just keep walking through sin, I'm going to keep turning my head, you will not make it. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so as we recondition our minds, just like basic training, we're in basic training even during this gospel series, saying God is trying to show us a new way to have our mindset. And so here's a principle that I've lived by that many here at Midtown, you've heard me say before. It's something that I learned years ago, and I want you to write it down. It's this. Whenever you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. Whenever you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. Here's another part of it. Whenever you say yes to God, you're saying no to the devil. Watch this. You, you see this, this image that we've been using for this gospel series where we see the hand of God represented in our hand. And what we see here is that God loved us so much that he would stretch his hand down to us even though we were hopeless. 
Because he responds in a way that says, hey, I know you still did a whole lot of things, but I'm still going to connect with you. But this is what I want you to know about this. When you say yes to God, you inevitably are actually turning your back on the crowd. See, when God is calling you to do something, there are always going to be more people calling you to do that thing than God is saying, come and do my thing. And the temptation is to pacify people. The temptation is to try to just go along to get along. But God is saying, if you are going to say yes to me, you have to turn, not just away from sin, but you have to turn towards me. I'm so glad that we have a God that when we decide because we are sick and tired of being sick and tired, he already knew what we would do, but he said, I'm going to be right here with you and for you, and I'm ready to respond with my grace, respond with my love, and make it a place where you can come and call home. And so this is what I want us to know. As we turn away from sin, as we turn towards God, what we need to know is that it is the turning of our heart, our minds, and our souls. And watch this. Repentance is not just this action. Repentance is a posture. Somebody sit up in your seat real quick, right here in Midtown, right there at Hamilton Mill, those online watching with us. Sit sit up wherever you are. Repentance is a posture. And this posture that we take in repentance is not a one and done action. See, see, some of us have heard about repentance and we're still living off our 20-year-old testimony. And God is saying repentance is something that you have to keep at the forefront of your mind. It's something that you have to walk with and talk with and be with. I need you to hear this. The practice and posture of repentance keeps you in a position to continue to grow in the things of God. The practice and posture of of, of repentance keeps you where you're not stagnant. We talk about one step. Every little step I take, I'm moving forward because I'm always positioning myself saying, Lord, I don't know it all. Lord, I don't have it all together. Lord, I fall back in my flesh. Lord, I need you. But this posture keeps us in his presence. And so as we know that repentance is a posture, I need you to hear this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Watch this, verse 16. It says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Say liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, like this, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I told you I like to amplify it. I love how the Amplified Version says it. It says it like this, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, continually, seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to even more glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. See, somebody in here ought to be thanking God that even when I get saved, I don't have to have it all together. Some of us in this room ought to thank God that because this is a journey, because it's progressive, even when I don't know how to actually make this walk work for God, he's saying, I'm still with you. This is progressively happening. This is gradually happening, but it has to be a posture. Sit up. Come on. Sit up. This has to be a posture. And so as this is a posture, I want to kind of break this word repent down to you because when we think about repent, the prefix re in the etymological sense, what it means is back. It means again. It means new. Again, let me say it. It means back. It means anew. It means again. Say this with me. Say back. 
anew, again. What it means is that this prefix re means that there is a repetition of action that has to correspond with your repentance. Can I say it one more time? There has to be a repetition of action that corresponds with your repentance. So when you repent, yes, your, your sins are forgiven. We're not even talking about that. When you repent and you actually ask the Lord to be a Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. But the posture of your repentance says that I continue to strive towards you, God. I continue to turn towards you. I'm still malleable. I'm still pliable. I'm still able to be worked with. And so as we grab this, here it is. I want you to lean in with me for a moment. Midtown, I wasn't going to give you a lean in this week, but since we have our family at Hamilton Mill with us, we need to lean in. So can we lean in for a moment? Come on, come on. Y'all at Hamilton Mill, I see you on that fifth row on the right side of the room. I need you to lean in with me too. Listen to this. Listen to this statement. As long as you are living, you will always be repenting. Now, that's not condemning. That's empowering. As long as you're living, you will always be repenting because you're not perfect. As long as you're living, you'll always be repenting because we all continue to need the grace of God. Now, I need you to stay leaning in with me. Y'all getting tired of Hamilton Mill. Keep leaning in with me. I need some crowd participation. I need you to look at someone next to you and say this. Say, you need to repent. Come on. Some of y'all are scared to say it. Say, you need to repent. Repeat this after me. Say, I don't care how holy you think you are. You need to repent. Now, some of y'all ought to be celebrating because you've been wanting to say that to that person next to you for a long time. I just gave you permission to call those things into order. Watch this. Here it is. Repentance has to be a way of life. I need us to get this. Say this with me. Say repentance is a way of life. And it's not negative. Somebody give God praise for that. So, so here's the thing. When we were talking about repentance... What this posture of repentance is, is that I'm continuously yielding and saying yes to God. I have a perpetual yes in my spirit when it comes to the things of God. And what I mean by having a perpetual yes is that whenever something is out of line in the things of God, I'm not fighting him, giving him my idea. I'm not saying, but God, you don't understand. God is like, fool, I don't understand. Where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I actually crafted the seeds? Where were you when I actually blew breath in your body? He's saying, I know you, but you have to say yes to me. And I want to give you a living acronym that I use when it comes to to saying yes. Yes simply means yielding entirely to the Savior. Yielding entirely to the Savior, meaning whenever something tries to come at me, whenever something tries to tempt me to go outside of what God is telling me to do, I'm saying yes. Can we put our hands up in the room right quick? This is not just for religious exercise. I'm trying to condition your spirit right now to say yes to God. Say, I say yes, Lord, to all of your ways. Say, I say yes, Lord, to doing what you want me to do. Say, I say yes, Lord, to being all that you've called me to be. I say yes. Amen. Amen. So as we have this response of yes, what we're saying is that we can't actually have a better idea than God. We have to continue to give ourselves up and our ideas over to God. I love how John Calvin, he kind of talked about this. He says, until men feel that they owe everything to God, 
They will never submit to him in voluntary obedience. No, unless they place their entire happiness in him, they will never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and in sincerity. If we're honest, there are some things that we kind of feel that are off limits to God. There are some things that we still kind of want to do. There are some things, some people have said, well, I'm not really ready to come to church yet because I still need to live my life. And God is saying, until you fully yield to me, you will not be able to experience the fullness of what I have for you. And so as we grab this, here it is. Repentance has to become an exercise for you. It has to be something that we start to interrogate ourselves with on a regular basis. Let me give you some very practical ways we interrogate ourselves. When we say yes to God, we're interrogating ourselves and saying, what type of person am I and what kind of friend can I be to others? When you change your mind and start to interrogate yourself, what you're saying is that I want to change my mind about how I see my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health. When I change my mind, I want to say, how do I look at money? Do I spend money on just what feeds me while only tipping God with the leftovers? Or do I tithe and say, Lord, I trust you with all these things. I'm not going to try to be my own God. When we condition our minds and change our minds, what we're saying is that what kind of spouse will I be? What kind of parent will I be? And most of all, how do I see the state of my eternity? Where am I going to go once this life is over? And if we start to answer those things, we will put ourselves in a position to be known by God and to be led by God. And so all that I'm saying is that we have to change our minds. Because watch this. Salvation happens in an instant, but sanctification happens over time. See, there's so many people who have counted themselves out in the body of Christ because you mess up. You feel like you're not going to get it. You're going to mess up. I'm not giving you a license to sin, but what I am is giving you a license to dig into God. You are saved in an instant, but sanctification happens over time. That's what we're talking about from going from glory to glory, going progressively and continually. We're repenting. And so what we do when we see that is that there's a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that's working in us when we say yes. See, when you say yes, what you're saying is like, God, I can't change myself. I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to let you know something. This is just a download the Lord just gave me. It is okay to be honest with God. Can I just pause here for a moment? I'm I'm pausing on purpose because I feel like sometimes we get so religious that we don't want to be honest with God when God knows anyway. But what happens, you begin to get intimacy with God when you start to put it out of your mouth and get vulnerable and say, Lord, I need some help. That man at the gym, that girl at the gym, it's tempting me. Maybe I need to change gyms. Can I talk about it? That work wife, that work husband, they're tempting me. I don't know what's going on. My my man or my woman, they're not talking to me enough at home. God is saying, be honest with me. Because when you're honest with me, I can give you wisdom on how to be around that, how to go through it, and how to prosper in life. That was a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. (laughs) So here's this. Hear this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. And just... And, and it has, it has just, just been said today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. When you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I'm here again. I'm just stopping right here. This, this was not something that kind of went through in a 9 o'clock service. I'm just feeling and sensing right here in this room and at Hamilton Mill that we need to know that God is saying, don't harden your heart. 
Hear this word, respond to this word, turn towards me, change your mind, because watch this, the changing of your mind today could literally save your life. I'm hearing this right now. This is for somebody in the room. Some of us have been dabbling in sin. Some of us have been playing. We've been kind of going in and out saying nobody sees it, and God is saying, I see you. I love you enough to give you grace, but the wages of sin still is death. And so I need us to change our minds. I need us to shift our mindset, amen? Watch this, here it is. So, so what should repentance produce? Number one, repentance initiates an inward change that affects our outward actions. So what I'm not here saying is giving you a hyper grace message that you can just do whatever you want and you just kind of keep on moving and God doesn't, doesn't care. No, when you actually walk in repentance, it's creating an inward change that now starts to show up outside. Have you ever kind of gotten to the point and you look around and you say, man, that thing that used to get me, that sin that I used to always get trapped in, you know, because I've been seeking the Lord, I've been in a small group, I've been going to prayer, I don't even do that anymore. I don't even realize that I stopped doing that. It's because God is saying, hey, once you look at me, you've tried the rest, but now I've given you the best. Now, because you're focused on me, you have your mind set on me, now those things don't taste the same anymore. You don't even have an appetite for them. And so as we look at this, we want to see life change. And the fruit of repentance is life change. But it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Hear this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. This is John the Baptist. He's, he's talking. He's actually, actually speaking to the religious people right here. He says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Hear this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He was kind of talking to them saying, you're showing up here, but are you really about this life? He went on to say, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Hear what's happening right here. He's talking to these religious leaders. And they're coming around saying, I go to church every Sunday. I'm in a small group. I do my devotion, but I'm not repentant. My life doesn't show that I'm repentant. And what John is saying is like, why are you coming around here if you're not going to allow the gospel to affect you? Why are you coming around here if you're not going to actually be in the place of healing and receive the healing? And so as we look at this, what we understand is there are consequences to an unrepentant life. Again, don't get it twisted. I'm not over here talking about just giving you a, a free pass to sin. There are consequences, and we will be held accountable for what we actually walk in, what we receive, and what we don't. But what John was doing when he was causing, calling these guys out, he was saying that it is possible to go through the motions of religious activities and still not repent inside. And I believe I'm in a house right now full of people who you didn't just come to church because you just want to check it off. You came to church today because you want something different. You came to church today because you want this gospel to actually permeate you. You came to church today because you're with some people and you need some help. You need community so that you can walk this thing out. And so as we talk about what repentance produces, it produces this other thing right here. It produces a life that is accomplishing the mission of God. We've been talking about the Missio Day, and we have this call to impact 100,000 and 900,000 to be a witness, a representative. But how many people know that they actually, people actually watch what you do more than they listen to what you say? 
If you're going to be a witness, a representative, we don't know that people are watching our lifestyles more than our words. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Before I read this, let me say this. On the day that you gave your life to Christ, that's when life started to stop being about you. Let me say it again. On the day when you gave your life to Christ, that's when your life stopped being about you. Now your life is a living representation of the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, you are like visitors and strangers in this world. So I beg you to keep your lives free from the evil things you want to do because your desires that fight against your true selves. People who don't believe are living all around you. They may say that you are doing wrong. So live such good lives that they will see the good you do and they will give glory to God on the day that comes. What he's saying is that live life in such a way that people read you. Live life in such a way that when people see you, they ask, I want what you want, not I don't want what you want. You're talking about you're a Christian. And so what we're doing is that when we actually yield to God, it affects our coworkers. It affects our neighbors. It affects our, our families. It affects our spouse, everybody around us. And so as we get this, this last thing, repentance produces a refresh, refreshing in your soul. See, all these things are good, but if you don't have an intimate relationship with God, again, you're just going through religious activities. And I love how it says this in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. It says, friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus your appointed Messiah. Listen again, the tone of Jesus coming on the scene was not condemning, it was life-giving. Some of us are wondering why I come to church Sunday after Sunday, I read my Bible, but I don't quite feel the intimacy of God in my life right now. I challenge to say that maybe it's because you have not repented. I challenge to say that you're still looking for some things from God, but you have not turned and set your mind on God. And so as the Bible says to repent, it says repent and believe. See, I'm not just here preaching words to you today here in Midtown of Hamilton. I want you to get this and repent and believe that God wants to totally radically change your life. Because here it is. Repenting is letting go of one way of thinking, taking on a new way of thinking so that you can be led to a better way of living. Letting go of one way of thinking, now taking on a new way of thinking so that you can walk in full step with God in a new and better way of living. See, we have this misconception in the body of Christ that, you know, once I get saved, once I start coming to church, this is why some people don't come to church. They say, well, when I become a Christian, you know, God needs me to be a good person. Can I give you an announcement? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead things live. And I don't care how dead you feel a certain situation in your life is, if it's your marriage, if it's your relationship, if it's your finances, if it's your mental state, God is saying when you have the posture of repentance and continue to turn to me, I want to breathe life into you again. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion here in Midtown and at Hamilton Mill. But first, I want to close by taking a moment to examine ourselves to examine our hearts towards God. 
And so if you would, I need you just to bow your head for a moment. And in bowing your head, I want you just to answer this simple question. And some of you, the Lord is going to speak something to you that you need to write down on your phone or write down on your tablet. Ask yourself this question. What one area in my life do I need to repent in? What one area in my life do I need to change my mind in so that God can be glorified? Just take just a few moments. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now humbly depending, loving on you right now in this moment, saying, God, we want to take on a posture of repentance. What we're saying with that, God, is that we're yielding our will and taking on your will. Knowing, Father, that when we yield to you, you'll change the actions that we walk in. You'll change the outflow of our lives. But first, Father, we want an internal heart surgery to happen with us now. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over every person under the sound of my voice right now. And I declare that as we go throughout this week, that we will practice the posture of repentance. That we understand that old things have passed away and all things are becoming new as we accept your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray supernatural grace and empowerment to your people who even counted themselves out who look down upon themselves because of past mistakes. Father, I thank you right now that repentance says we can try again. Repentance says there's a new opportunity. Repentance says there is new mercies every morning. So, Father, I thank you for those who say I believe but help my unbelief. God, give us a supernatural confirmation of your word and your will over our lives. We love you and we accept your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, listen, Victory Hamilton Mill, it was a pleasure having you with us today. And I'm going to turn it back over uh, to your pastor, for Pastor Chad, right there in-house. And Victory Midtown, before we do that, can we put our hands together one more time for having them with us? God bless you. At this time, we're going to take communion. We're going to respond to this word. We say, what should the response be? We're going to respond to this word by taking communion today. And so if you would, can you stand on your feet all over the building? Those who are online, you can get you a cracker, you can get you some juice, get something that signifies the blood and the body of Christ. Raise your hand if you still need elements. The ushers are coming around. They can serve you. Here it is. I want to close by giving us an opportunity to respond by taking communion. And I want to give you a scripture for your arsenal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it says this. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Hear this part. Everyone ought to examine themselves. We just did that. Examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among them are weak and sick, And a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Now, a lot of times we've heard this type of scripture and you're like, pass the bucket, pass me. (laughs) Because I don't want to take communion. But I want to tell you this is empowering today for us to take it. 
But as I said, what we do in this moment is that we examine ourselves. And what this moment is saying to us is that we're celebrating. The Bible says, do often this in remembrance of me because he knows that we're going to forget. He knows that we'll go through the wiles of life and we'll need to be reminded about the sacrifice of Jesus in both his body and his blood. And so as we get ready to go through this moment, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take out what is a wafer, but it represents the body of Christ. Lift it up in the air. Go ahead and break it. When you break it, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, thank you for allowing your body to be broken so that my body could be made whole. I know there may be facts that people are giving you at the doctor and you might feel a headache right now, but the truth of the Lord is that you are healed. And so right now, instead of me begging God to heal us, what I want you to just to say is yes. Come on, say it one more time. Say yes. yes. What you're saying yes to is the healing power of Jesus. What you're saying yes to is the fact that God has already moved in your life. So I declare that over you now. We take together and eat. Open up what is physically a little cup of juice, but it represents the blood of Jesus. In this room, I, I know that there may be at least one or two people who you're hearing this word, and you maybe have even heard about repentance before, and you're like, I'm staying away from church. I, I can't do that. I'm not getting with that. But let me tell you the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that even yet in your sins, Jesus still said, I am your Savior. And the great thing about his sacrifice is that we can appropriate it right now. And so in this moment, if you need to say, I need to give my life to Jesus, I want to be able to repent, and I, I want to walk in a relationship with God, but I'm not saved yet, my soul is not in fellowship with him, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. As a matter of fact, I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me because some of us need a renewing and a refilling. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for bleeding for me and taking my place. Right now, I repent, which means I change my mind and I turn towards God. I'm not going to do things my way, but I want to do things your way. Say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you change me, that progressively, that I become fully in the image of God. But right now, I make a choice, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take now and drink together and seal that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, the way I want to close today is that I want us to respond to God through our worship. Because everything that we talked about today is only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so even as we sing this song, in this moment, I want you to block out everybody else around you, what anybody else thinks. And I want you to give God praise that is worthy of his name as we sing this song. Because what we're saying is that there is no one else like Jesus. So right now, as we worship, let's give him all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. God bless you.